When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Know Your Foe, the Baltimore Ravens, and this episode about the about the Indianapolis Colts. Still hard for me not, not to say Baltimore Colts after all these years. Joined by Kevin Bowen. How are you doing, Kevin, of 1070 The Fan in Indianapolis? Doing great, Kent. Excited for Sunday, and um, I appreciate you having me I on. I appreciate you coming on on short notice, Kevin. Thanks a lot. Uh, your, uh your thoughts about the Colts offseason for starters, their biggest acquisitions to start with and then the draft. Yeah, I would say certainly much more of a win now approach from the Colts. They were not happy with their quarterback play last season. Their passing offense was in the basement of the NFL. So uh, Frank Reich's familiarity with Phillip Rivers was a huge part of that marriage happening. It's just a one year contract officially, but they really think it'll be a two year um, sort of relationship. So um, yeah, again, a little bit more of a just, I would say more the efficiency of the passing game, the completion percentage numbers, the yards per attempt numbers were not very high last year. So that's why Rivers was brought in. Uh, DeForest Buckner, a big trade, 13th overall pick given up for him. Um, you know, the Colts play this Tampa 2 scheme. And, you know, for any of, you know, of your listeners that know what that scheme is all about, having a three technique that can be disruptive is an absolute must. It's probably the most important position sure. really in that defense. And that's where Buckner comes in and fills that role and has really been very impactful in the first seven games. So those were the two big moves. A um, couple skill guys early in the draft, Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, uh, have not shown up as much as you know fans or I think even the team would have liked so far. But um, there's 
both big factors, just playing time wise. Julian Blackman, a third round safety, has come in and really played a whole lot uh, with Malik Hooker tearing his Achilles back at safety. Um, and then lastly, probably the other name, I guess the other two names I'd mentioned, kind of prove it deals. Xavier Rhodes at corner, Trey Burton at tight end. Both one year contracts, both were cut uh, from their previous teams with multiple years still left on their deals. And Rhodes has been outstanding, struggled week one, but has been really good since then looking like kind of the pro bowler that he used to be. And then Trey Burton, a uh, big factor in the red zone, think a kind of hybrid gadgety tight end type. Um, he's been key as well. And it's helped this team kind of be a little bit better in the red zone uh, where they started the year really poorly in that area. Of the okay. Field. Very good. So that's a, that's a great uh, uh, recap of the off season. How about the developmental players on this team? And when I do that, I like to go through the, the year four guys in particular who are coming up on free agency and the year three guys who might be signed a year early. Yeah. I mean, I'd say the biggest name is the whitest body up from the D line. That's Grover Stewart. He's a fourth round pick out of Albany state back in Chris Ballard's first draft as general manager it's taken him a little bit of time, as you would expect from a smaller school guy. I know John Harbaugh mentioned earlier in the week he was a guy that they liked during the draft. And when you see the Colts rank so high in run defense right now, it's because of Stewart and Buckner. I mean, they are two great players against the run. Stewart is ranks really high in the league right now in, in, in solo tackles, which, you know, for kind of a nose tackle, that's, that's very impressive for him. Um, so I'd say he's the name that jumps out the most. Uh, is kind of a maybe a not top of mind for a lot of people, but plays a key role. Um, he would be the guy defensively, offensively, a guy that could really play a big role Sunday. We'll see if T.Y. Hilton plays. I think he's iffy at best. Would be Zach Pascal, kind of a journeyman wideout, former undrafted wideout. He plays a whole lot of snaps, number fourteen, probably their best blocking wideout. But just inevitably, he gets a lot of uh, a lot of targets because he's on the field so much. Um, so I would say those are couple, kind of a couple of guys. Um, Secondary-wise, I don't know how familiar people are yet with Kenny Moore, but I mean he is a much more starting to get much more, I think, national recognition, a really good slot player for this team. I think he could be involved in some potential spy packages as well. This, uh, this and one of, the, one of the really nice positions the Colts are in is in great cap space for 2021. I guess that really doesn't mean their quarterback is signed yet, and the Ravens are in you know, also good cap space. But uh, who might they look at extending early in this group? Is there, are, are there some third-year players who really deserve it at this point? Quentin Nelson, maybe? Yeah, I mean, Nelson, but you do have the fifth-year option still with Nelson. So I think he maybe you pick up that fifth-year option and give him the big deal in the 2022 summer, I guess that would be. I would say this upcoming summer um, or spring, I guess, Grover Stewart um, is a free agent. I expect him to get a pretty big extension. And as far as the guys under contract, the two names, I think, that 2018 draft class for Chris Ballard, really good Mm -hmm. draft class. Darius Leonard, as a second-round pick, deserves a long-term deal. And then Braden Smith, the right tackle. They thought he'd be a guard originally, kind of forced into tackle duty, fifth game of his rookie season. And he started every game since then. Really quiet kid, but a high second-round pick out of Auburn. And I think he deserves a second deal uh, probably before his contract is uh, Well, it's always cheaper if you can do that. So if you've got cap space, as the Ravens found out, the Ravens have been a long time without really having cap space. But when they had it, they got a lot of cheap deals done. It was very uh, uh, very positive, including their defensive signal caller, Chuck Clark. So Braden Smith sounds like a great one to tie up early with tackle depth being what it is uh, league-wide. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And again, the continuity of their O-line has been an issue, but 
they've got these first round picks and Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson. And then over at left tackle, Anthony Costanzo, who they just re-signed to a two-year deal. Um, if they can try to keep that together, that's been a huge part of the Chris Bowd rebuild. All right. Let's move on to the offense a little bit. Uh, well, let's talk about injuries, first of all. Who, who's uh, I, I know there's a couple of wide receivers that are that are injured and a fairly long injury report for the Colts. So take us through that. Yeah, it, it is a little skewed with just they had a couple close contacts COVID-wise. A staffer tested positive. Um, it seems like they're in the clear, not the high-risk contacts that you're seeing with the Marlon Humphrey mm-hmm. um, situation with those guys around him. So um, as we're recording this, I expect those guys to be to be good to go. Um, as far as the injuries, you mentioned wide out, definitely. Um, T.Y. Hilton with a groin injury, hasn't practiced all week. Frank Reich said he's got to practice to play, and it just looks iffy. Um, the Colts have not gotten number one Pro Bowl wide out production from Hilton, but still, anyone that thinks Hilton is not a loss just doesn't – they don't watch the Colts. He still gets a lot of attention from opposing defenses, and uh, they're one and nine as a team without Hilton in the lineup. So – uh, that is a notable loss if uh, he doesn't play on Sunday. They've got Ashton Doolin, who's kind of more of a gadget guy. He's dealing with a knee injury at wideout. And then Marcus Johnson, who's been a big play guy recently, he showed up on in the injury report Thursday. So um, it, it's the group that has been very disappointing, I would say, um, just with, with the top flight guys. You know, injuries have played into it. Paris Campbell was hurt early in the year. He was going to be the number two wideout. I mentioned Michael Pittman earlier. He's been banged up, just got back last week. So the, that wideout group is just a it, – it, you, you never know what you're going to get with them. And without Hilton, I think it's a big burden to throw on some of those other guys. Okay, the Ravens extremely shorthanded, as you probably know, at cornerback. And you know, part of it is Baltimore being spoiled with having a great secondary these last few years. But they've had a tremendous number of injuries now in the secondary. The COVID uh, listing of Marlon, Humph- Marlon Humphrey is a very serious move for them. But last week, even with Marlon Humphrey – the Steelers really forced the Ravens with four wide receiver sets in a very uncomfortable four-corner dime defense that they're not used to playing, and they had to dip down into a practice squad player, Terrell Bonds, as the last player there. So one of my questions would be, given some of the dearth that wide out due to injury for the Colts, is it possible that they could run a similar scheme? Because it seems like Rivers is a kind of quarterback who could really take advantage of it. His heavy multiple if the Colts feel like they could take advantage of maybe some of the Raven linebacker, you know, issues just from a, you know, the, the guys not practicing this week. Um, but yeah, I mean, wide out wise, you know, there, there's this debate here in Indy this week of like, wow, they really spread it around and, 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 you know, whatever, you never know where they're going and that's great. But still you, you just don't have that top flight guy that I think if you really press these wide outs and they struggle to beat press coverage, um, I think you can run into some issues from a Colts standpoint with their passing game. But the tight end group, win healthy, Jack Doyle, Mo Alley-Cox, Trey Burton, Alley-Cox on the injury report, so he's a name to watch. But that that's a pretty good group, and the Colts feel like they can be multiple and unpredictable, even with a couple of those guys on the field. So I tend to think that is the area that they would use more of the um, – you know, kind of multi-tight end personnel groupings based off, you know, three and four wide out personnel packages. Okay, gotcha. So you you hit the nose on the nail on the head when you said that uh, the, the Ravens linebackers are really not practicing this week. Chris Board, who might be their best coverage linebacker, is there. Um, Patrick Queen is not. And Patrick Queen's had all sorts of coverage issues so far in his rookie season. Otherwise, very fine rookie year, but 
he's made a lot of mistakes in 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 terms of coverage uh, that have really cost the Ravens. So that that'd be an area to watch against against the tight ends. I'm really of the opinion he needs to come off the field on third down, but that's a that's a matter for another show, I guess. Let's talk. Let's talk about Philip Rivers. One of the things I noticed him from the next gen stats when he was down to 4.2 average yards per completion this year. Didn't mean he'd been ineffective throwing the ball deep, but it seems to be a very barbelled approach to some very short passes and some longer ones. Yeah, you know, the thing about Rivers is you are certainly going to get the ball out quick. Um, he's a very, very quick rhythm. He knows full well that he's not a guy that is, uh, you know, going to sit back in the pocket and avoid, you know, rushers and whatnot. Um, <clears throat> the yards per completion, I, I don't know. I guess it, it, it maybe I, I, I'd have to look deeper at it. I mean, it's not, you know, the air attempt hasn't been anywhere near the top of the NFL, but I don't think it's been that bad or at least as bad as I thought. The Colts still take some chances downfield. And maybe I'm just looking at it because last season they just did not test teams vertically nor hit on those vertical passing plays at all. So I still think they're creating some chunks in the pass game, but certainly he wants to get the ball out quick and it is more underneath stuff than most, Um, you know, finding running backs has always kind of been a thing for him in some of their better games this year. Offensively, he's done a nice job of that. They've got a variety of backs that, that they rely on. Uh, but he's been unbelievable against the Blitz this year, which I know it's something Baltimore does a lot. And uh, I think he ranks second in the NFL in passer rating against the Blitz. So um, he's a very intelligent guy. You know, I know you know he's had some matchups against Baltimore in the past. So I, I think that's a great kind of chess match within the game. Yeah, that that sounds great. And I've misreported that, and I apologize here. But I'm looking at completed air yards right now on next gen. He's at 5.6, not 4.2, right in the middle of the pack. So. Uh, you know, his long success is very notable this year. I uh, appreciate you working through that with me and and, uh, and not calling me out, but I'm going to call myself out on that. <laughs> All good. <laughs> uh, okay, how about taking us through the current state of the offensive line from left to right? I think we know the, some of the big players, but take us through from Costanzo to the right. Yeah, they've been really healthy. Anthony Costanzo, left tackle, veteran, very durable. Quentin Nelson, a left guard. Everyone knows about him. Um, now he's created a Hall of Fame standard in his first two seasons. And I would say he hasn't played to that standard this year. Um, still a really good left guard. But again, you, you, you kind of put him in rarefied air. Center's Ryan Kelly, a little bit banged up last week, but he, he's fine um, this week. Uh, right guard is Mark Glowinski, a fourth-round pick, probably their weakest of the five offensive linemen. And then Braden Smith at right tackle we talked about earlier. Um, it's a group that has tons of invested resources into it, four top 40 picks. Um, it it wow. deserved a lot of attention after you know Chris Boward got here and after that first season when Jacoby Brissett was sacked a ton and they did that drafted Nelson at six overall and then drafted Smith at 37 overall so um if you look at their play this year I would say one of the better pass protecting groups in the NFL um but unfortunately really their their rushing performance has not been good at all Frank Reich won't put that much on things to the point of attack I would disagree with that I don't think their blocking run blocking has been up to par uh, some of it isn't just necessarily losing one-on-ones. It's, it's you know, a little bit of miscommunication stuff, and you, you just can't have that, um, especially when you need to lean on that aspect of your offense. Let's dive a little deeper there. The, the, they run a lot from 12 and 21, or they used to do even some 22 personnel? Um, I would say mostly 12. Yeah, I would say mostly 12 and 21. Okay. So mostly you're, you're mostly – sacrificing the spreading the defense out with a third cornerback on the field to get an extra uh, 
tight end or extra blocker at the point of attack. And you, your blockers, in my opinion anyway, and this is watching from the Ravens last few years, your blockers at the point of attack need to be very good to make that be the right strategy. Most NFL offensive coordinators like to run out of 11 personnel and spread the field, and they'll take one less heavy to have you have one less heavy. Right, right. And I think something that really hurt the Colts is they lost Marlon Mack towards Achilles in uh, really the second or third series of the, of the season. So they had to thrust Jonathan Taylor into duty. And, you know, while Taylor was a very high draft pick, obviously, at Wisconsin, I mean, he's running behind an offensive line that, you know, he doesn't see any dirty air until five or six yards into a play. And now in the NFL, just naturally, you're going to have to deal with a little bit of, you know, garbage earlier in a play. And Taylor has struggled a bit, really struggled last week. And, and you know, frankly, he got benched. He had one carry in the second mm-hmm. half, and they turned to Jordan Wilkins, who's just kind of a necessary insurance policy. And Wilkins ran it pretty well. So that's been a debate here at Indy this week of, okay, do they ride the hot-handed Wilkins? Um, obviously, they still want to involve Taylor as a runner. But, you know, maybe he does better if he's on the bench to start the game and can see how things are being blocked up. And maybe he faces, you know, m- you know, kind of some backup defensive linemen when he goes in there, second or third series, something like that. But easily the biggest disappointment for the Colts this season has been their rushing performance. Like I said earlier, they've invested way too much into that group to be a poor run team. They rank dead last in the NFL in yards per carry. Um that you know it, it, it it's just been a just an absolute disappointment for them and they're putting a lot on the plate of philip rivers and they played with a little bit of fire and they've done well lately you know winning two in a row but now you're going to face a whole different animal starting sunday and really in the rest of november and they've got to get that run game going all right is there, is there any other common player formation we see out of the colts on offense that ravens fans ought to look for you know nelson polling is always kind of a big thing um, Naeem Hines split out. He's kind of their gadget running back wide out. Um, if you, they can get him isolated on a linebacker safety, they love to go there. He had two touchdowns last week. People probably saw his crazy flip in the end zone that he had after he scored. Um, and then Trey Burton as a wildcat guy, you know, I think people will recall the Philly special in the Super Bowl. Trey Burton to uh, Nick Foles. Burton is a guy that has uh, scored twice out of Wildcat running both times. Just sh- very short yardage, but um, those are kind of some, some gadgety stuff the Colts like to do. Interesting, interesting. Alright, let's flip over the defensive side of the ball. One thing I like to get out of the way right away is what's the most common base pass and run look? So if the Ravens put, say, 12 or 21 personnel on the field as they do a lot of plays, What's the most common thing that you would expect the, the Colts to line up in? Yeah, I mean, any multiple tight end set, you're going to see the Colts in their base, but they aren't opposed to playing nickel because Kenny Moore, again, is such a great nickel corner. Um, when they go to nickel, they usually bring Bobby Okariki on the field as a, as a linebacker, number 58. Uh, and him and Darius Leonard are, are both very similar length, athleticism, skill set. You know, in the Colts drafted, they drafted Leonard round two, 2018, Okariki round three, 2019. You know, Chris Bauer made it pretty clear of, look at the division. Deshaun Watson, Marcus Mariota, look at the AFC. You know, Patrick Mahomes, obviously Lamar Jackson came on at the end of that 2018 season. You know, he felt like he had to get more run and strike at the linebacker position. So they're extremely long with their wingspan and have great ability to run in space. And they'll be put to the ultimate test on Sunday. But I, I have a feeling the Colts will use kind of that four-man defensive line that is just pretty much their bread and butter. They've loved to only rush four 
and drop seven. They did blitz a good amount last week for them, but they are not a big blitzing team at all. Um, so I think they, they look at it as our four-man. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Front has won against the run all year long. We need to continue to do that. And then guys in space, Kenny Moore, Bobby Okariki, Darius Leonard, um, they need to make those plays in space. They have a third linebacker, Anthony Walker. That's more of a run guy, but I think he's more of your kind of traditional run team. I don't know how much he's more of your, you know, Baltimore, a little bit of a spread look run team. All right. Now looking looking through the amount of safety usage on the team, I can't necessarily say I can I can count it up on on cornerbacks. I can't tell if the if Indianapolis plays particularly much dime defense. So when it gets to be third down, do they t- do they leave two linebackers on the field or they take one off one of the inside linebackers and and bring in either safety or another corner? Boy, I could probably count the dime looks on my hand for this season. <laughs> you know, well, last year they did use um, you know kind of a a fourth safety often as their dime package um, on the field. They have not done that this year. Now the Malik Hooker tearing of the uh, of the Achilles you know, has, has kind of hindered their depth a little bit at safety. They start two pretty young guys. Kari Willis is a second-year safety, a fourth-round pick, and then Julian Blackman is a, a third-round pick out of Utah who actually tore his ACL in the Pac-12 title game in December and yet has played and played very good football for this team. So when they go nickel, it'll be Kenny Moore on the field, and then they usually take off, um, you know, Anthony Walker as one of their linebackers. Um, and, and that's about it. I, I, I don't expect them to go dime very often. Like I said, they really want to use that four-man front. You know, they, they change up a little bit of their D-line group when they go into third-down situations. But I have not seen them involve a sixth defensive back hardly at all this year. All right. The, that's definitely the antithesis of the Ravens, who like to scheme in everybody into their pass rush and get as many defensive backs as possible on the field. So that's uh, uh, very different from from how the Ravens do it. Um Okay, you mentioned the four-man pass rush. Do they do much in terms of scheme at all, in terms of stunting, uh, simulated pressures in terms of dropping people from the line of scrimmage, or any other, uh, uh, let's see, blitzes from off the line of scrimmage? Uh, And I know a lot of people call blitzes like five-plus, but I'm really talking about there's four-man rushes and there's four-man rushes. If you drop somebody and then you blitz somebody else to zone blitz or overload, uh, how much of scheme do we see in the Indianapolis uh, defensive playbook? Yeah, you're going to see a lot of twists and stunts up front. That's probably their bread and butter. Um, they, like I said earlier, they're not a heavy blitzing team. Now, Leonard blitzed. He was back in the lineup last week. He had missed about two and a half games. He did get after Matthew Stafford a couple times, had a huge strip sack midway through the third quarter. Um, that, that really kind of changed the game. Um, so you, you'll see him occasionally. Kenny Moore will blitz from the slot. 
on occasion as well. You know, some zone blitzing, but again, not a whole lot. And then, you know, when you're facing Baltimore, obviously you got the whole spy factor that you have to play into things as well. So I would say mostly twists and stunts are a big thing that they do up front. They're very key on again, which, you know, seems common sense, but, you know, trying to isolate their best rushers against, you know, your, your weakest guy. So I would expect it looks like Baltimore's got an injury at right guard, you know, DeForest Buckner being over that right guard a lot, you know, the change at left tackle with Ronnie Stanley out, you know, I, I would assume kind of that Justin Houston power rush is maybe what you see over there a little bit more. So they don't have a, t- they don't have great individual speed at all with their pass rush. Kamoko Ture is their best speed rusher. He's been out since last October with an ankle injury. He's starting to practice. I don't think he'll play on Sunday, but we'll we'll, we'll see. Um, you know, he, he's kind of iffy. If he makes his debut, he's not going to be out there a whole lot, but he's their best speed rusher. They just don't have a great, you know, bend edge guy that, that that's really going to disrupt things. Okay, so I'm noticing that Danico Autry has gotten a fair number of snaps on the edge so far, uh, and that is certainly a journeyman name in the NFL at this point. Yeah, Autry was a 2018 signing from Oakland and really played pretty good football for the Colts that first year as more of a kind of hybrid, you know, edge guy on early downs, interior guy. And, and he's played a little bit more out on the edge. Again, early downs this year, slides interior-wise on third down. But the Colts just don't, I think, feel totally comfortable with that other edge spot. You know, al Muhammad, number 97, is a really high-effort guy. Uh, but Ben Banigou, a second-round pick out of TCU last year, Hasn't shown a lot of pop yet. Um, so opposite Justin Houston, they're kind of mixes and match. And Tyquan Lewis is a, is a versatile guy that can play inside or out. He's really come on in the, in the past couple of weeks. All right. All right, that'll be interesting. Obviously, those edge uh, defenders have to be very much on their, on their toes in terms of being left unblocked as well. Do you think either of them, either Houston or uh, Autry or whoever it may be on early downs, may be up to the – uh, requirement to make that read uh, or or maybe have it forced upon them with some gap exchanges? Yeah, yeah, I would say Autry's probably the more undisciplined of the two. Um, so I would just say kind of attacking him. But if there's one thing about Matt Eberflus's defense, it's a very stringent defense on we're going to be pretty simple, but we sure as hell are going to know what we're doing, and we have to. You know, he stresses alignment, assignment, keys so often, and I know that's very coaching cliche. But I think you ask anybody who prepares for the Colts offense or the Colts defense, and they'll say they, they don't keep you up at night on a Tuesday with, you know, exotic looks and things like that. But they're just very sound. So, you know, the discipline nature obviously comes into play a whole lot against Baltimore. Having said that, they had a walkthrough yesterday, you know, due to COVID, and they're going to practice a little bit today. But, you know, how, how much can you replicate this offense in practice? You know, we're going to have to see on Sunday. All right. All right. Yeah, I think that'll be one of the interesting things. Obviously, the, the Colts have had one of the best rushing defenses in the NFL this year, right? They're allowing something like 66 yards per game. Yeah, outstanding run defense. But again, we know full well this is yeah. not your average run team, just strictly with, with how they look, let alone, you know, the type of production that they produce. But I, I think internally the Colts feel good just because, again, they have these defensive principles that are so stringent on, you know, being disciplined. Um, and then also what I mentioned earlier about the linebackers, they really want them to play well in space. And this is a big game for that. Right. Hey, you've, you've probably been a Colts fan for a long time. Did you grow up in Indianapolis? 
I did. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay, so you you probably remember the 2006 playoff game, which is still sticking in the Ravens fans' craw, uh, and 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 some of the other games of that era, frankly, where the Ravens had a, a top flight rushing attack, um, but still had a very difficult time imposing that on the Colts because they just, for whatever reason, knew how to uh, do a little. Um, uh, run blitzing and the other things to make up for the fact that they were a little smallish relative to the Ravens line, but always were able to, to seem to be imposing their defensive will and, and forcing the Ravens to the air in those games. I, I just, I'm, I'm bothered by that. I wonder how much of that is like a holdover perhaps from coaching that might've stayed with the Colts for all these years. Yeah. I mean, they're certainly trying to play the Tampa two defense. Now I'll say they're a little bigger than they were back then. I mean, they were really small back then um i mean that 2006 run the colts won the super bowl that year if you look at peyton manning's numbers really starting with the baltimore game i mean he, he was not good against baltimore at all mm-hmm. and yet adam vinatieri makes all his kicks and bob sanders is back in the lineup and that was a huge huge uh defensive performance and really the defense carried them throughout that playoff run and yeah uh, i think 2009 as well is probably the other playoff game uh that w- that was in in indy when the colts made a super bowl run again and, and i think I don't know, held Baltimore, I want to say, to under 10 points that game as well. So 20 to 3, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not the – it's it's a similar style, you know, Tampa too. Um, and the Colts have been a really good run defense team under Matt Eberflus here as defense coordinator the last three years. They aren't a great I, – I shouldn't say they aren't a great pass defense team, but I'm a little skeptical of that. So I don't know how that plays into Sunday necessarily, but like when the schedule came out in May – and this game jumped out at fans. The Green Bay j- game jumped out at fans that the Colts will play here in a couple of weeks. I think fans feel better about this game than Green Bay. I feel like they feel they're better equipped to stop the run than they are just a full-on passing game. All right. All right. Interesting. So I, I kind of got us off track a little bit, but I want to go back to some other things about the defense here. In terms of uh, rotation on the defensive line, uh, how, do, how do the Colts handle that typically? You know, they haven't rotated as much as I would say other teams, and partly it's because DeForest Buckner and, and really several of the guys up front really pride themselves in just you know, great stamina and playing a whole lot. I'd say several of those guys are around 70%, north of 70% snap counts for, for a given game, and they've, they've rested some fourth quarters this year. You know, two games in five days for the Colts, I don't know if that plays into anything. But they'll play on Thursday. You know, do you try and scale that back a little bit? I mean, that's a really fine line to be playing. Sure. But still, you know, that that could be in the back of some of their minds. So a little bit of rotation, but I think largely they've been disappointed by their second unit outside of Taekwon Lewis. So you wonder just how much trust, how much faith you have in them, considering the challenge that you're facing. Okay, very good. Uh, in terms of the linebackers, and we talked about them a little bit earlier, but it, has there been any effort to platoon? I'm a big fan of platoon linebacking, just to say this, because I think that you, you can get a lot cheaper and often better result by having two or three guys who are each specialists share a position. Do, you, do they have anything like that going on? I mean, not a whole lot. You know, I mentioned earlier, first off, Darius Leonard doesn't come off the field. He's sure. playing every snap. Um, the other linebacker spot is typically either Bobby Okariki or Anthony Walker. Walker's suits are better um, for rundowns. Again, more of kind of, you know, in between the tackle running. Okariki is much more of a rangy guy that is is pretty good in coverage. But the issue you run into, I think, lately is Colts have just decided, and they haven't played a ton of pass-happy teams. They've just decided to play Okariki a whole lot more. He's probably out-snapping Walker 2-1. to one, And I would say Walker – 
of those snaps he's on the field, it's probably a lot of base. I mean, again, I don't think he plays a lot of two linebacker, if if really at all. I'd probably have to dive into that a little bit more. But for the most part on Sunday, I'd expect 53 Leonard, 58 Okariki to be on the field a whole lot, maybe 54 Walker in the base, but I don't look for him to play too much when you go to your nickel. Okay. All right. If there's not a sharp differentiation, often teams don't do it. And then you already mentioned they don't go to the dime a lot, which is usually one of the other quote unquote platoon linebackers that you would have in there. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Let's go to the secondary. Talk us through who's out there in the, in the base five uh, for the Colts. Yeah. So their outside corners will probably be Kenny Moore and Xavier Rhodes. Moore is a five, nine corner that is just plays. He's maybe the best pound for pound player the Colts have, honestly. Um, great tackler in space. Much, much more of a nickel corner, but he's just so reliable. You got to have him outside. Um, kind of a crazy story how he was an, an undrafted free agent, waiver claimed by the Colts when they were terrible, and has really become one of the higher paid slot corners in the league. So when he comes on, uh, or when they go nickel, Rocky Seen, early second round pick from last year, he comes on the field. Yassine and Xavier Rhodes are two longer corners. Um, you know, a little bit more ups and downs from Yassine probably was a little grabby at times last year. Um, has been a little better, but again, they have not faced really. I don't. I wouldn't consider they faced top ten, maybe even top fifteen quarterback yet this season. Uh, and, and then their safeties will play every snap. Julian Blackman and Kari Willis. Willis more your box safety. Blackman more your center field guy, but pretty good instincts. Don't just label him as he's afraid of contact, things like that. Finds the ball well. And uh, you certainly can mix it up inside the box. Okay, Xavier Rhodes looks like he's having a tremendous comeback season. I really hadn't known this before just kind of looking at, at some ratings here today. But tell us a little bit about him and how he's done this year. Yeah, so the Colts went out and um, you know looked at, they, they, well, once Rhodes became available, I should say, he was cut by Minnesota. They were able to hop on that. And it was something to where Pierre Desir was kind of a consistent corner for the Colts, but they just felt like, I think, a higher ceiling with Rhodes. So they cut Desir, brought in Rhodes, much cheaper deal, prove-it contract. They have some familiarity on the coaching staff with a few assistants that were in Minnesota early on when Rhodes was there. Felt like they'd get him back to that level. I think Minnesota looked at it as a financial decision as well. Um, but again, outside of week one when they just got shredded by Gardner Minshew, I would say the defense has looked really good. Xavier Rhodes in coverage has been outstanding, making plays on the ball, some interceptions, um, several passes defensed as well. So, I mean, he has been, I would say, much better than I thought he would be. And, you know, the Colts don't, you know, do a whole lot of press man or you know, shadowing opposing wideouts or things like that. But Rhodes has looked like a number one corner for this team. All right. Now, how about – you know, in terms of specifically dealing with the Ravens, Jackson, Brown, Andrews, a lot of the weapons that they have, it's really uh, J.K. Dobbins now is, is is taking over the lead back role. How do you expect them to defend the the Ravens? What do, what do you expect them to do special in terms of this game, in terms of defending the Ravens? Yeah, I mean, I'm most curious to see what that spy is like. I think a lot of heavy nickel looks. Um, again, you, you, you're still going to have your four-man front on the field, which is the most important aspect of it. Um, and, and then you get those linebackers in space a little bit more. I, I think what Okariki and Leonard can do in space is what the Colts, um, you know, really how they wanted to rebuild their defense for games like this. I talked about Kenny Moore as well. I think he is really important for sure. Uh, but what they do spy-wise, Leonard is probably the person you would expect the most 
But again, I also think that he's somebody that, um, you know, if you disguise him or maybe he's not your spy. But I'm curious about um, with this matchup. Okay. Uh, that's great. Any Have they played a lot of speed so far in 2020? No. Um, no. I mean, and, and you know, you know this full well. Obviously, no one falls into the Jackson category of speed. But, no, I mean, they haven't. You know, they've struggled a little bit with mobile quarterbacks. Darnold got out of the pocket a bit. Um, Burrow as well. Baker Mayfield hurt them on a lot of bootlegs early in that game. But, no, nothing like Leonard. You know, they don't play Watson until the end of the season, playing twice in three weeks. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is just the ultimate challenge, um, just schematically, and then also – you know, with what Jackson can do. So I think it'll be a great test. And uh, I know fans are really, really looking forward to this because, you know, the Colts have played by far the easiest schedule in the NFL. Um, there's 13 teams right now in the league that have a positive point differential. The Colts haven't played one of them yet. So uh, they've kind of beaten up on the, you know, it, it's unfair to call it kind of a soft non-conference bas- college basketball schedule because the NFL is much more parity, but they've kind of had that. And now you get some, you know, real January tests. All right. All right. Now, how about you go out on a limb and, and give us one player on the Colts you think matches up really well against the Ravens? Oh, man, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I would say if healthy, I'll, I'll go with Mo Cox, kind of their big body tight end, really big guy, former, actually former um, forward for VCU uh, in, in his basketball days in college and then his transition to the NFL. A little bit banged up, but I just look at the linebacker issue right now with the Ravens and think, okay, Colts love to use their tight ends. Doyle had a touchdown. Burton had a touchdown last week. Allie Cox made some big catches early on. I would say he's a guy offensively that, um, especially if T.Y. Hilton's out, could really be a factor. All right. Outstanding. Well, Kevin, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks so much for doing this on short notice especially. But where can folks find your work? Give me your Twitter handle. Any other plugs you'd like to do? Yeah, it's a K Bowen, B-O-W-E-N, 1070 on Twitter. So you can find me there. Same on Instagram. And then uh, 1075thefan.com is where all my uh, all my written work is. And, and got a podcast as well called uh, Kevin's Corner. All right. That sounds great. Uh, folks, look out on Film Study Baltimore. Uh, all the usual articles will be out there this week, as well as a normal podcast you're used to. Thanks for joining us. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Everyday grab-and-go, everyday giftable, everyday fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Whether you're buying a new car or used one, it's a big investment. Which is why you should choose Pennzoil Platinum. It helps extend the life of your engine and protect it up to 15 years or 500,000 miles, whichever comes first, guaranteed. 
That's because Pennzoil's base oil is made from natural gas and 99.5% free from engine-clogging impurities. The proof is in the Pennzoil. Enrollment required? Keep your receipts. Other conditions apply? See Pennzoil.com warranty for full details. Find it at Firestone Complete Auto Care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.